0: again and welcome to knowing God with heart and mind a podcast virtual church classroom study presented each week by yours truly Pastor Dan on behalf of the people of Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper Indiana today's lesson is signs of sacred things we are studying from the Christian believer class, uh, study presented by the Cokesbury publishing folks out of Nashville and uh, written by J. Ellsworth Callis. This study is a long-term view of the Christian doctrines, basically as they are outlined in the Nicene Creed. This week we're talking about sacraments. So, before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Almighty God, I thank you for this group of wonderful people who have gathered around their many kinds of devices to listen to this study and to participate in their mind, and I pray that each of them will be blessed in this particular occasion. This is a study for uh, people who are interested in going deeper with you, becoming more in tune with your heart and mind so that there is a synchronicity between the heart and mind of our Creator and the heart and mind of our people who love and serve the Creator. So, Lord, make that possible through the presence of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) Today's original broadcast date is Friday, January the 5th, 2018. This week's lesson's uh, primary scripture, key scripture reading is 1 Corinthians 10:16. Our key scripture reading for this week's lesson on the sacraments is 1 Corinthians 10:16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break. Is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Let's think about that as we listen to the words of today's key hymn. A hymn by Charles Wesley called, uh, Come, Let Us Use the Grace Divine. Come, Let Us Use the Grace Divine by Charles Wesley. The Grace Divine. It's number 606 in the United Methodist Hymnal, written by Charles Wesley, and uh, the arrangement is by Rafe von Williams. The words are these. Come, let us use the grace divine, and all with one accord in the perpetual covenant join ourselves to Christ the Lord. Give up ourselves through Jesus' power, his name to glorify, and promise in this sacred hour for God to live and die. The covenant we this moment make be ever kept in mind. We will no more our God forsake or cast these words behind. We never will throw off the fear of God who hears our vow, and if thou art well pleased to hear, come down and meet us now thee, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, let all our hearts receive, present with the celestial host the peaceful answer give. To each covenant the blood apply, which takes our sins away, and register our names on high, and keep us to that day. Signs of sacred things or the sacraments. So what is it about the sacraments that are so special and what makes one form of sacrament special and another not so much? Well, I'm having a sacred experience right now. I'm really blessed because today as I record this podcast, I have here in the pastor's basement next to me, my beautiful daughter, Bethany, who is one of the most skilled critical thinkers I know. And a woman of God. She and I love to have these kinds of conversations and have often thought that this podcast would be better if she could be a part of it with me. And today she is. So welcome, Bethany. Thanks for being here. Say hi to our friends out there. Hello. Yeah. You know, Bethany listens to this podcast every week and I always ask her for feedback. So she's a part of this podcast, even when you don't hear her voice. But... Today we're talking about sacraments, Bethany, and the question that is uh, before us is, what is it about material things that makes them sacred, and is it the thing that's sacred or the way that it is used by God that makes it sacred? In our United Methodist tradition, we have two sacraments, uh, as opposed to, say, the seven of the Greek Orthodox or the Catholic Church. And those sacraments are baptism and the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. And what is it, do you think, just based on those two sacraments that makes them sacred or special as opposed to other works of religious activity?
1: Um, well, I think that both of those things are things that Jesus himself participated in. Mm-hmm. So, I think that that makes them significant. They're both acts that he told us to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, I hear that too in the scripture. And in fact, they are also things that he and the people of his tradition would have considered sacred even before he did it, mm-hmm. right? We know that, for example, in the Old Testament, people were ritually cleansed before they went into. Uh, the tabernacle or to the to the temple for worship. And uh, we know that there were sacred uh, meals like the Passover meal, which is, in fact, where Jesus initiated the sacrament of Holy Communion or the Lord's table. And so he wasn't doing anything that seemed new to him. So what made it sacred for modern believers and Christians of the New Testament was something else. What What do you suppose it was that made it sacred to us? She's crunching up her face at me here. Usually she knows exactly where I'm going even before I do a lot of times, but what makes it sacred is, is that it's a new covenant, right? Mm-hmm. We know yeah. that the word Old Testament means Old Covenant and the words New Testament means New Covenant. It's really just a a version of Greek versus a version of Hebrew. But what Jesus has done is taken an old covenant and given it uh, an old covenant activity and given it a new covenant to associate with it. So now the cleansing means something different. Now the meal means something different. It's still sacred, Mm -hmm. but it's sacred for a new reason. Dr. Callas tells us in his text that the meaning of the word sacrament actually goes back to uh, the original Latin, and uh, for us anyway, it's a Latin or originated word that means oath. And so when we do something that is uh, sacramental or sacred, it is associated with a promise or a, uh, a commitment to obedience. And so when we say that Jesus originated the sacraments that we consider the most special, the baptism and the Lord's Supper, we're basically saying that we call them sacraments because when we do them, we're promising to uh, obey him at, by doing them and also to submit to their authority and power as it is implied. Is that a fair conclusion? Mm-hmm. And according to the Greek interpretation of the word, uh, it means to bind, and it gives us another word that derives from it, mysterion. Now, I've talked a lot in this podcast about the uh, the nature of mystery. That when we talk about mystery in the church, we don't really mean mystery like um, the you know. Columbo Mysteries, where we're trying to figure out who did the crime and all that. What we're really talking about is a sacred understanding that we promise to obey and abide by this belief, even if it's not entirely possible to figure out what's going on. And that, by definition, is faith. And it takes a little bit of courage to act in faith. So in a very real sense, when we participate in a sacrament, which is a earthly material thing that has been given a spiritual and invisible richness, we're doing something that takes a little courage. We're, we're sort of confessing that we don't fully understand what we're doing, but we trust that it is good. And that is, uh, in effect, what sacrament means as we interpret the word. And, uh, This is not to say that there hasn't been a lot of controversy and confusion over the topic. So, I mean, what do you think, Bethany, are some of the things that your uh, uh, unbelieving or less uh, knowledgeable Christian friends, you know, some of the people you know outside of the church, you know, how would you imagine them viewing uh, our participation in Holy Communion, for example?
1: I think that a lot of people my age look at it as something very, um, like mystical, but not in the same sense as what you were just talking about. It's like, like mysticism, magic, things like that. Like they think it's pretty weird that people, um, believe that some grape juice and some bread becomes flesh and blood and they think that that's pretty gross. Um, yeah, I think that that's a big one for people. It's kind of a stumbling block
0: for mm-hmm. people. You know, I've heard over the years, even when I was much younger than you, that that Christians talk so much about the blood of Jesus that it really grosses yeah. people out, you know. Yeah. Uh, I have a dear friend whose favorite hymn is, uh, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. Sounds like something you'd see on one of these vampire shows Mm -hmm. that are so popular. And it's because people don't really wrap their minds around that as a spiritual concept. And yet, in a very real sense to Christians in particular, the blood of Jesus is a kind of replacement for the sacramental bathing Mm -hmm. that the Jews did before they sacrificed the blood of the, the animal or the food that they put before uh, God at the temple. So we don't really imagine ourselves being bathed in human blood, and yet we are sort of saying that the cleansing that we experience from our sin is a cleansing made possible by the blood of Jesus. And so in effect, we sort of uh, equate it with washing ourselves in the blood of jesus so we christians have a lot of funky language Mm -hmm. that really scares the stuff out of people
1: which which is kind of amusing i guess to me because like you said there's all these vampire shows on tv and if you put somebody in front of something and tell them it's fictional obviously it's super popular because you look at like game of thrones there's a lot of blood but when you tell somebody that this is real, that's when people start to get a little bit... They feel icky.
0: hmm So for people to really get the sacred nature of Holy Communion, we'll say, since that's kind of where we started, is it really is better to not use a lot of the funky language and just get back to the real heart of the matter, which is Jesus took a sacred meal that had been a part of his people's tradition for thousands of years. And he better than anyone understood the real meaning of this Passover. And he was simply applying himself to the formula and applying a new meaning to it. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot easier to say to people, this grape juice or wine, we mean it one way or another, doesn't really matter in the case of of church, Some people would argue that that it has to be wine because that's what Jesus drank. But, you know, either way, we would say that when Jesus presented them with the cup and he said, this is my blood, he didn't literally mean for them to interpret it as blood, but to see how the cup of the Passover covenant Mm -hmm. was a new covenant made with him. And so, as I often say in church, the people who took the blood of the sacrificial lamb and spread it on the doorposts of their home were now being told that Jesus' blood was serving the same purpose, that God's wrath, God's justified wrath, would then pass over. And so he was simply saying, I'm the new Passover lamb. I'm your uh, protection against God's wrath. I'm, I'm covering your sin. With my blood, Mm -hmm. and that's what he was saying. So, he really may or may not have meant that this cup was somehow mysteriously transformed into his blood, and this bread somehow transformed into his body. And as I like to say about the bread that he offered at the Passover meal, he was saying, Look, you know, this is my body, eat it. Now, I don't think he really meant carve me up and eat me like a steak. You know, I mean, that sounds kind of weird and gross. And that's exactly what you're saying your friends would hear. Mm-hmm. But if he was saying sort of metaphorically or figuratively, this is the new covenant, and I want you to really absorb it into yourself. I mean, stop and think about what happens when you eat bread. Um, it dissolves in your mouth pretty quickly. And uh, I like chewy bread, you know, but Either way, it doesn't take it very long to process into your body. It goes into your digestive system and then into your bloodstream. And what could be more intimate than that? If Jesus says, look, this is my body. This is who I am. This is what I came for. I came here to do this for you. And now I want you to absorb all that I am into all that you are. I mean, what a wonderful uh, invitation to an intimacy that is inconceivable and and It's anything but blood and flesh.
1: Well, I think it's also cool because it's, at the same time as it's communion and it's what you're talking about, it's also a continuation of Passover. Mm -hmm. So even though we're not, as Christians, we're not sitting and having the full-on Passover meal, every time we do communion we're sort of doing Passover because it's the unleavened bread and the wine and... So we're, we're taking the old covenant and it's becoming the new covenant while we're doing that. And so it's, you know, respect for what's happened in our past and recognizing what Jesus did for our futures. And I think that's kind of cool, too.
0: Yeah, I love that. Well, that's a really wonderful transition in a way because... Uh, Well, before we transition, let's just think about what we said a minute ago the sacred word means. The sacrament means an oath. Mm -hmm. When you take Holy Communion as a sacrament, you're doing just what you described. You're taking Holy Communion and you're saying, once again, yes, Lord, I choose to obey you. I choose to believe that your body and your blood are my sources of salvation and right relationship with God, which which is my longer version of the word righteous. But righteous is another one of those church words that people don't quite understand. And I just make it more clear by saying it's rightness with God. We want to be in a right relationship with God. And this is the vehicle that tells us in an earthly material way that we have a spiritual solidarity with our creator. And that's a neat idea. Mm -hmm. And I love talking about the spiritual and the material and uh, I I owe a lot of my understanding of this to a certain rabbi that I quote a lot, and it's not Jesus. He gets quoted more than this other guy, but this one rabbi in particular that I like to listen to always talks about the differences between spiritual and material things, and sacraments are a really wonderful example of that because they're both. Mm -hmm. They are material, material because they can be measured and they can be... Uh, 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 quantified in some way or another. You can have a loaf of bread, you can have a cup of grape juice or wine, but then you have a spiritual aspect to it that happens when we take it in a sacred ceremony and in a particular form. So that takes me to the next point. You, You mentioned that it's like the Passover. You know, people ate, bread and drank wine every day of their lives. Mm -hmm. But once a year, they set aside a special meal, called it Passover, and believed that something really sacred was happening. So how is it different from eating bread and drinking wine on any other occasion? I mean, you know, that's what's kind of interesting for me. Um, I think maybe to help prompt your thinking on this. What what I'm driving at is, is because God ordained that too. Mm-hmm. Because God told the people now that you have been delivered from your enemy and that rabbi I was talking about a minute ago, he talks a lot. He has one of the best teachings I've ever heard on the Exodus and in particular the Ten Commandments. And what he says mm-hmm. is, is Egypt is not just a literal place and a ruling class that dominated the people of Israel but it's also for all generations the emblem of those things that oppress us, our bad habits, our uh, our our bad attitudes, um, our circumstances, you know if we're if we're poor, if we're um, disabled in some way, if we don't like our job or if we are, in some way oppressed by another person or another circumstance in our life, then this deliverance that is described in Exodus is meant to be emblematic of deliverance from all oppressors. And so when God says, now that you've been delivered, mark the occasion every year on a certain day and let that particular marked day be a sacramental activity. So we can eat bread together anytime we want, but on the eve of Passover, when we eat this meal, we understand it to be different. So where is the connection or the division between human activity and spiritual activity? In other words, when we talk about having uh, participated in a sacrament, I've told you privately in our conversations That when I serve Holy Communion or perform baptisms in the church, I often wonder if the people who are receiving it experience it the way I'm delivering it. And the question is how could I know? And so I do a certain amount of teaching and instruction in church to say, this is what I believe is happening. But then as I watch the people come and we stand in this very sacred moment together, mm-hmm. where I'm presenting them with the sacrament, I can only guess at what they're thinking. So what do you think about communion, for example? And we'll come on, we're going to do baptism here in a minute. But, but when you think about communion, what do you think's going on with people, and where do you think God sort of supersedes our human limitations? Big question.
1: I mean, I think that to a certain extent with communion, it's kind of a mental game. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Mm -hmm. But like, if you go into communion thinking nothing's going to happen, then probably nothing's going to happen. So I think it's a little bit of you have to be mentally in the right space. And I think that's probably different for everyone. I think everybody probably experiences communion and a lot of things in church in different ways. Um, the other question's harder.
0: So while you worked that out, let me let me add this and see if it helps. So what I think about is, is you have what you would call human assent or consent. In other words, your mental game. Mm-hmm. you You approach the the pastor, the priest whoever's presenting the element to you with a consent or assent you you either submit to the authority of the priestly person because even a pastor in a non or non catholic church rather has a certain priestly role and this would be one of those times in the sacraments so when you approach the priest or the one who intercedes on behalf of god you can either consent which means you're a assuming that this person knows what they're talking about and you're agreeing with whatever they just told you is true. Mm-hmm. Or you ascend to it, meaning that you've actually thought it through and by your own belief you are accepting this. Um, I don't think either one uh, necessarily cancels out the other. I, I don't think you you have to do one or the other uh Independently. I think you can do both. In fact, I think that's the nature of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, when you consent, you're putting your faith in my faith. And when you ascend, you are agreeing with me and sharing my faith in, a, in effect. And so when I talk about consent or assent, I'm really just saying that when the person approaches to receive the elements, they agree at least in the general principle of the thing and if i have spoken it wisely and according to the doctrinal traditions of my church then you could at least agree that jesus told us to do this and we're doing it for that reason we don't in our presentation of, of the great thanksgiving and the various liturgies of the church of, of the united methodist church we don't just come right out and say this is the body of christ we do say however make this for us the body of christ and the blood of christ but then we immediately qualify by saying shed for our sins and so forth and so that could mean a lot of things to people it could mean to me that it is in some mysterious way equal to the flesh and blood of Jesus which would be one of the most traditional Protestant views the mm-hmm. Lutheran uh, Calvinistic sort of Protestant view that Wesley probably carried to a certain extent it seems where he's basically saying something mysterious and and, and uh, supernatural is happening um, he would call that consubstantiation so We could agree that that's in the wording and that's in the assumption, but then again it isn't so plainly stated that we have to agree about that. But we do agree that there's something supernatural about the process. So if there's something supernatural about the process, does it matter whether you and I agree at the moment I hand you the bread and the cup?
1: So I was thinking about that while you were talking, and I was thinking about how in our church tradition children are invited to communion Mm -hmm. and children don't most children don't know what they're they're going up and getting a snack they they don't necessarily connect all the dots but we also (laughs) say frequently in church that anytime two or more are gathered God is there so I'm thinking that it probably doesn't matter what my opinion is versus the person behind me versus the person in front of me versus the little five year old because God's there so I don't know that my personal like my personal opinion is not going to change the fact that it's still a sacrament because over like overall we're doing it mm-hmm. in remembrance
0: of the new covenant which once again you have masterfully led me right into the next topic or you you've helped me transition beautifully because well, okay, first of all, let's agree that this podcast and this particular study of doctrine uh, written by Dr. Callis, who is a scholar from a very Wesleyan institution in Kentucky called Asbury Theological Seminary. So, so first of all, we're taking a, a Wesleyan approach to this, and that has to be understood by the listeners as well as you and me. But beyond that, though... So what we're saying is not so much a justification for why children should be allowed to take communion or even why we baptize babies, but I'm going to go ahead and go there because this is Wesleyan doctrine. Mm -hmm. And with apologies to anybody who doesn't share the Wesleyan doctrine, I have dear friends who are Southern Baptists who would radically disagree with me about whether it's okay to baptize babies and so forth. And yet they would also say that communion is a memorial act and that there isn't anything particularly sacred going on. That's not uniquely Southern Baptist, but there is that variation among the believers that, that, you know, how we interpret it. And what you and I just decided was, is that no matter what the people involved choose to think about what's happening, there is something sacred going on. Well, here's what I would say if somebody asked me, why do you baptize babies? Why do you let little children take communion? Or, for that matter, anyone who comes to your church can take communion. Mm-hmm. And of course, we give an invitation to communion that basically says uh, the Lord invites everybody to his table who earnestly repents of their sin and seeks to be at peace with one another. So, the only requirement for Baptist or for uh, Methodist communion. Uh, is that you repent of your sin and that you agree you're at peace with the people with whom you're breaking bread. And that's really neat because that's an ancient tradition that's as old as humanity. We don't break bread with people that we consider our enemies. And so one of the things I wish more people understood when they come to communion in church is, is you're now admitting that these people are your friends and that you're not angry with them anymore. But, you know, even in church, there seem to be some long-held grudges. Mm -hmm. So if you really take this thing seriously, don't break bread together. But that's another topic. So what we believe, then, that you just stated really beautifully was is that the Holy Spirit shows up. Mm -hmm. And so, basically, if we take... Baby, and we present the baby to the congregation on behalf of the parents, and we say, We believe that the Holy Spirit's going to show up now. We're inviting the Holy Spirit to show up, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to act, and then in this act of sacrament baptism, the Holy Spirit is present. And so, no matter what people are thinking in the pews, no matter what mom and dad are thinking, no matter what Pastor Dan's thinking. The understanding is we just invited the Holy Spirit to show up. Mm -hmm. And if there's one person present in this whole thing who's got it right, whatever it is, it's the Holy Spirit. And I don't know that Mr. Wesley would agree with my way of interpreting his belief, but I think that he would probably say it was foundationally valid. Because if I can say nothing else about the sacraments, it is uh, understanding that we all share that the Holy Spirit got invited to the table and the Holy Spirit is going to do whatever the Holy Spirit does in order to make it sacred. Mm -hmm. And so if we say that we've baptized the child in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and we've invited the Holy Spirit, we have to believe and in obedience accept that the Holy Spirit did what we asked the Holy Spirit to do. Not that the Holy Spirit is beholden to us, but because by very, God's very nature, when we ask God to love us and work in and around us, God does. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing we can be sure of is that where God is welcome, God always arrives. That much we can be sure of. Mm-hmm. And it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. If, if uh, Adam and Eve had covered themselves and hid from God, it was because he wasn't welcome anymore not that they didn't want God around, but they didn't think God wanted them around anymore, you know? And so it goes all the way back to the garden. We don't hide from God because mm-hmm. God always shows up. So the only reason we don't invite God is because we don't want God. And therefore, when we do invite God, we can pretty well be sure that he shows up. Yeah. That's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. So, given that understanding, what we have when we receive baptism or the holy communion is The presence of the Holy Spirit, who out of love and pure grace makes for us these sacred acts Mm -hmm. in their material sense, sacred in a spiritual sense. Mm Is that a reasonable conclusion? Yes. Cool. I think that ends our segment pretty well. Do you have anything else you want to say or talk about? Any questions for Dad, Pastor Dan, anything you want to share with our friends? There's like eight of them out there. It's, I don't think so. <laughs> there might be more. I don't know. I don't have any uh, uh, delusions of grandeur. I don't think for one minute that this podcast is reaching tens of millions of people around the world. Uh, what I do know is is that friends we've made in the churches we've served mm-hmm. over the last 21 years listen to this because they miss pastor dan mm-hmm. we have people in our present ministry situation in indiana in jasper indiana who listen to this because they want more than they have time to receive in the physical presence of pastor dan and it isn't all it isn't at all about pastor dan but is pastor dan just trying to do what god called him to do but i gotta tell you my friends my daughter here is a blessing to me in so many ways because she has such a great spirit Such a wonderful mind, and these are the kinds of conversations she and I have all the time. And if I could have my way, she would help me with this podcast every single week. Who knows? Maybe it can happen. But for now, I hope you'll join me in thanking Bethany for being here, because it's been a huge blessing, my dear.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks for having me. I had fun.
0: Cool. And if you were receiving this uh, class through the actual church classroom, literal classroom, and I bought the books for you and everything, you'd be looking at pages with words all over them. And the opening pages of each lesson always include a bunch of phrases and words. And uh, what's really neat is, is that what Dr. Callis would have us understand is the language of the church. You know, Bethany and I were just talking about how There is uh, a sort of church language that we speak that is very alien to people outside the church, and so we use words like sacrament and... uh, it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to somebody outside and uh, it's not that different. You know, if you were in a club or some sort of shared hobby uh, with others, you have a whole language that goes with it that only you and the others within it understand. And so the words that are often associated with the signs of sacred things are words like baptism, Eucharist, Holy communion, new covenant, means of grace, repentance, physical and spiritual things, washing and regeneration, salvation and forgiveness, the outward signs of an inward grace, the mystery and physical reality. So these are all things that we associate with the term sacrament. And all of that is basically for us to to understand that when Christians speak of these things, uh, that's at least what they ought to mean. (laughs) And there's the real question, isn't it? Is that what you mean? When you think about the lesson that we've just discussed, ask yourself these questions. What do I believe when I go to receive Holy Communion? What terms come to my mind when I'm receiving Holy Communion? What terms come to my mind when I'm witnessing the baptism of a baby or an adult? How is it that we are so uh, different in our experience of this sacrament and so the the same you know how is it and would you agree with our assumption that it is the presence of the Holy Spirit that is the uniting and binding factor this is what we consider as we talk about the language of faith but now let's look at some faith questions mm-hmm. Few matters of doctrine affect the typical believer more intimately than the sacraments. Because they're visible, they are more comprehensible to us than such doctrines as that of the Holy Spirit or the Trinity. But because they're visible and physical, they may also be trivialized or taken for granted. So let's consider some questions. What about Holy Communion, as you have experienced it, most surely conveys the faith And grace to you. And if you have observed both immersion and sprinkling as forms of baptism, what has impressed you in each instance as especially meaningful? And we sometimes hear of communion services in various settings where other elements are substituted for the bread and wine. Are other elements Ever adequate for a true celebration of the Eucharist? Why would you say that? What are the minimal basic elements that you think have to be present and for it to be present in order for it to be the sacrament of Holy Communion? And what merits do you find in the view that recognizes marriage and ordination and other things as sacraments? We've talked a little bit about that at the beginning of today's lesson, but we really didn't take it very far at all. But how do you feel, especially if you come from Roman Catholic tradition, about other things being considered sacramental as well? And if your church background does not include an emphasis on the sacraments... Does this lesson change your mind in any particular way? So if you had in front of you the Christian Believer study book, you would see towards the end of each section in red a statement of faith that is as key as that scripture we read at the beginning of the class. Remember the scripture from the beginning, from 1 Corinthians. Now we have our key statement of faith. If we agree about this doctrine of the sacraments, then we can say, because we the church believe Christ has ordained special means of conveying grace, I will faithfully observe these ordinances to the glory of God and to the nurture of my Christian life. (laughs) Well, that about does it for today's lesson from Christian Believer on the sacraments. This has been uh, lesson number 22. Next week, lesson number 23 in the Spirit and Truth. Worship. That ought to be a lot of fun. I look forward to covering that with you. There will be reading assignments, and I will drop those in the description box below this podcast, along with a link to the Nicene Creed. And uh, hopefully you found that helpful. I know there's a lot to read, but if you do, it really helps lay the biblical foundation for the things we discuss. And for the sake of time, I don't also read you all of those scriptures because, frankly, who wants a podcast that long? So instead, I invite you to read the scripture lessons that I will type into the description box at the bottom of today's podcast. Our closing prayer comes from... The Book of Worship of the Methodist Church. It's an older prayer, but here's what it says. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord, whose property is always to have mercy." Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so that we partake of this sacrament of thy Son, Jesus Christ, that we may walk in newness of life, may grow into his likeness, and may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast each week, for joining me and Bethany today in this uh, this virtual church classroom that we share together each week. I'm honored that you would listen to this and find blessing from it. I invite you, I implore you, as I do each week, to be involved with a local church. Do not let this be the only thing you do. This is one small part of a relationship with God that is manifest in our relationship with others. So a community or a body of Christ is made by our shared covenant in the sacraments and the receiving of the Holy Spirit through them and in and around them. So be a part of a family of faith. If you live in the Jasper area or southwest Indiana, we'd welcome you at Shiloh United Methodist Church. It'd be my honor to meet you. And wherever you are as you receive this, know that it would be a great encouragement to me to hear from you. I'd love to know where you're listening from and how this particular Uh, service of the church and myself has blessed you. We will welcome your visits to Shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M.org. Shortly after you receive this, you'll visit and find a completely new and redesigned Uh, website. We're very excited about that. And look for our app in the App Store for Android and Apple products, Shiloh United Methodist Church of Jasper, Indiana. Until next time, God bless you, and go in peace to love and serve the Lord.